Um, going back to when I was a teenager reading, you know, Awaken the Giant Within by Tony Robbins and Rich Dad, Poor Dad had a huge, huge influence on me. So I was kind of already in that world, but had no idea what I could contribute. All right, I am recording. Today I have on Tiago Forte. He is a speaker, writer, teacher, researcher. He's obsessed with the future of work. In a previous life, he worked in microfinance, served in the Peace Corps, and consulted for large companies on product development. He draws on his background in design and technology to help knowledge workers improve their performance, discover better ways of doing things, and reframe their relationships with work. Tiago is the author of the Praxis blog, where he discusses the future of work and productivity, and the founder of Forte Lab. So, Diego, thank you for speaking to me today. Of course, Ian. Yeah, good to be here, and um, happy to to talk with you today. Cool. Okay. So, you already saw that I have this massive list of questions. We both agreed that we'll probably not get through them today. Um, so, I'm going to try to bounce around and focus on the ones I think that will get people the most useful stuff. Um, but before we get into that, I would like to just talk a little bit about your personal and professional background. So I'm just going to start with my two questions on that. And the first one was just, can you talk about your professional background, how you got involved in personal and professional organization and productivity? What problems did you identify in that world? And how do you help you know people both personally and with their professional organization? Yeah, so it feels like it was a just long series of accidents. <laughs> nice. um, always... <laughs> I always had an interesting kind of self-help, self-improvement, um, going back to when I was a teenager reading, you know, Awaken the Giant Within by Tony Robbins and Rich Dad, Poor Dad had a huge, huge influence on me. Um, so I was kind of already in that world, but had no idea what I could contribute, you know, what I had to say. Uh, it seems like you needed to have these big life accomplishments and tons of money and success to be able to teach anyone what you knew. Um, and after college, I didn't feel like I was ready to, to, you know, start my career. Um, it was also kind of the depths of the great recession. So I decided instead to get my bills paid by uncle Sam and do the Peace Corps. <laughs> nice. Nice. Um, for anyone that doesn't know the Peace Corps, it's a, it's a volunteer organization, um, run by the U S government where since, since like the sixties, the late sixties, seventies. Um, started by President Kennedy. And basically, you sign up for a two-year stint. Um, you go to one of, I think, like 150 countries or 100 countries, and you serve. You really are a full-time volunteer for two years plus a few months. Um, and you work on anything from education to health to agriculture to really anything. So um, I started teaching kids there, and that was kind of my entrance. I, I had taught English before in South America, which is kind of a, a known thing. Um, but I started teaching just like you wouldn't even consider them very sophisticated, just basic, you know, how to keep a to-do list, how to keep a calendar, how to plan very simple projects to my students. Um, that's kind of how I got into it. And I saw that I actually, just the way that I thought was naturally good at that. And so it was easy for me to teach. Um, and then when I came back to the U.S. and moved to Silicon Valley to start my career, I looked around at my my colleagues. I looked around at people in the co-working space where we worked. I looked at people my age and I realized actually everyone had the same needs yeah. that, you know, even elite knowledge workers in Silicon Valley have often have no idea how to manage their work. They're just kind mm -hmm. of, 
you know, ad hoc, moving through their days, trying to keep it all under control, um, reacting to things impulsively. And um, the breakthrough really was the book Getting Things Done, which just completely rocked my world. And my first online course, which was the beginning of my business, was just a course on how to implement the Getting Things Done method. Yep. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, that is like a wide-ranging beginning to this. Uh, <laughs> I down there, and I'm really surprised at the end. That took a turn because I didn't, I didn't know that you were that huge on getting things done. So, a couple questions from that. First one, the Peace Corps. Uh, I think it's. I don't want to butcher the name. Kupyansk, Ukraine. That's right. How did you? That's not widely known. How did you? How did you find that? <laughs> the magic of LinkedIn. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> So did you pick that? Like why, why that area? Was there something special to you about it or that's just where the Peace Corps put you? Yeah. You know, they let you pick where you want to go. And I was like, I'm sure like everyone else who applies, Oh yeah, I'd love to go to Central America or Southeast Asia. (laughs) Um, But then I have a theory that they actually, they look at that and they send you to the opposite of what you want. Oh yeah. Um, Because they, my theory is that they don't want you to be in the mindset that you're on this extended vacation. They, they want you to be in the mindset that you're of service. And if you, you know, say no to that assignment, you're probably not the right person for, for the Peace Corps. Totally. So um, they, they sent me to Eastern Ukraine, pretty much the opposite of the beaches that I wanted to be on. <laughs> yeah, so that's like a little hack for people in the Peace Corps. You got to pick like the worst place. So they're like, oh, this is one of the, he's dedicated. We're going to Southeast Asia. Uh, exactly. Dude, that is wild. So the Ukraine, that's no joke. In the winter, it's like you're there in the winter. I mean, two years, so it's freezing. So cold. It's a different kind of cold. It's a whole different level. I mean, I, I was raised in California, so yeah. I, it was just a shock. Um, but I loved it. I mean, I just it was it was really hard at times. Pretty lonely. Um, they they place you as the only American in your town. They they kind of separate you. Yeah because they, they want you to integrate and learn the language and all that stuff. And so, you know, alone in this, this little Ukrainian town on the Russian border, uh, got lonely for sure, but also built a lot of resilience. You know, I feel like living abroad, working abroad is one of the best ways to prepare for entrepreneurship um, that people don't realize because, you know, compared to living abroad and living in these places, entrepreneurship is like not that hard. And like the uncertainty is not that bad. Like that's, that's what's so hard in entrepreneurship. It's not the hard work. You know, a lot of people know and are willing to work hard. Uh, it's the uncertainty. It's working for weeks or months or longer, not knowing if it's working, not knowing if you're succeeding, not knowing if it's the right path. Like most people just cannot tolerate that level of uncertainty. Mm-hmm. Um, and living in, in developing countries is a great way to build up your uncertainty muscles. <laughs> that's interesting. That's true though. That's so true. I mean, I find it even worse with like remote work because you don't have that tangible aspect of like this big office. That's like this huge monolithic office you go to. It's like if you're a knowledge worker by yourself too. Sometimes you're just like, is any of this stuff in my laptop like real that I'm doing every day? <laughs> so, uh, I totally relate to you in uncertainty. Like definitely. Yeah, um, I know. It's, it's kind of, it's kind of the whole environment we live in now. Even, I mean, even if you work in a company, it's the same thing. Mm-hmm. It's like, there are not clear steps to achieving results anymore. There is not clear, you know, career ladders where you can predict, I mean, you can predictively move up, but um, that's also kind of, 
not necessarily going to give you the lifestyle and the success you want. Um, that's actually what had me, what had me leave my, the consulting job in San Francisco uh, to become self-employed is, is I had my first annual review after being there like a little over a year mm-hmm. and they kind of laid out the career path for me in consulting. And they were like, you know, you're a junior project manager now. Yeah, a couple more years, you could be like a project manager. And then a couple of years after that, you, you could be a senior project manager. And then one, you know, five or six years from now, you could be a direct project director. And they were, they were telling me this as if it was like the most enticing thing ever. And I was like, no, <laughs> like that's, that's not for me. That's not fast enough. That's not the path I want to follow. So I, I left soon after that. Um, but yeah, we, we all have to learn to deal with uncertainty now. It's just part of life. Yeah, definitely is. But way you describe the progression too is totally, I agree a hundred percent. That's what does not appeal to me about a lot of big companies. Um, so I was in the military for like active duty for like six, seven years, the same thing. It's like very, you know, hierarchical, you know, when you're going to get promoted. And so I kind of had a feel for like certain aspects. I, I kind of knew what it was going to be like going to another big company. And what you just said was like the biggest thing that I just was like, there's no way I can do this is, <laughs> and, and when I talk to people in consulting, especially, uh, cause it's such a big field, there's a lot of different companies that do it. I notice this so much, just like you're saying, people are like, you know, if I stay on for, you know, I like kill myself for like 15 years, I might be able to be a partner. <laughs> and, and you're just like listening to it to me is the same. I'm just like, there's no way I would ever want to do that. Just to like slowly move up this ladder. And like you said, this isn't, you know, going to be a reality forever. The nature of work is changing. So one, one thing about that ambiguity is when you're helping people, you know, set up their organization and how they work, do you ever work with people on setting up some sort of structure for themselves, these motivational, you know, goalposts that they can hit since a lot of people will not have these set promotion levels they're going to keep moving to? I do. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a lot of my work is like reintroducing some of the structure Mm -hmm. that was lost through a mix of people becoming contractors and freelancers, people working remotely, people having multiple clients and customers, um, people even, you know, working in open, uh, open, uh, what are those called? Open space floor plans. Yeah. Um, and, and having control of your own schedule. Every single trend in work right now is, is pointing towards more autonomy, more flexibility, which is wonderful. But it also means, you know, you don't have that clear beginning and ending time box thing anymore of the nine to five. Mm-hmm. So ironically, so much of my work is re-adding that structure back. You know, like I have one course on GTD, which is about structuring your to-do list, you know, mm-hmm. deciding what you're going to what you're going to focus on from an elevated perspective rather than just doing whatever shows up in front of you. Yeah. Um, my second course is design your habits. It's on how to create routines. You know, what do you do in the morning? What do you do midday? What do you do in the evening? What is the, what are the cycles and the mini cycles of your life? Um, my third course building a second brain is how to, how to kind of organize and structure your ideas and your knowledge. Uh, it's, it's a course on digital note taking um, and not trying to keep all the things you have to th- you have to think about and remember and, mm-hmm. and reflect on in your head, but offloading it to intelligent external tools. Um, and then I have a, a new course, Rite of Passage, with a partner, uh, David Perel, which is about modern writing, how to get all these ideas you've collected and then output them, publish them to the world, 
um, to just build your reputation and accelerate your career using content. Um, so each one of those you could think of as a way of giving people a process for something that seems completely ambig ambiguous and just like a black box. Yeah. Yeah. I know the writing process, especially it can seem like, you know, you're just gathering more material and like sort of putting things together. And it does seem like the production cycle is sort of a black box. Like, uh, it'll get, I know a lot of people who literally say like, uh, it'll be ready when it's ready, <laughs> which to me is like very, I could, I don't think I could deal with that. The ambiguity of that. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's the, that's the, uh, the classic, you know, vision of the artist that you're this tortured soul, you know, emaciated living in an attic <laughs> or a basement yeah. torturing yourself, you know, just about suffering and struggle. And, um, I mean, it is hard sometimes. There's no doubt that creative work is challenging, of course. Um, but not a hundred percent of it is completely an unknown, right? Yeah. Like you can systematize, you can create a process around some large percentage of that. And that not only makes your life less stressful and more fun, it actually increases the quality of the work you produce because you're not in pain and suffering. You are, it's a sustainable practice and you, you're, you're, you're systematically building a body of work, not just waiting for some brilliant idea to arrive out of the blue. Yeah, no, totally. Totally agree. And you mentioned a few of your products there. I really want to get to you building a second brand, but before I do, I don't want to like talk a little bit more about how you got into this field and, one of the ways I'd like to do that is you now have this suite of products. How did this evolve from a course on getting things done, which is very much like strict organizational principles to some of these other courses you're making? Now? How did you expand like the scope of your services and your products? You know, I really took an approach um, of listening to what people wanted. Mm -hmm. uh, for the first course, it was really based directly on a best-selling book. And so yeah. I knew it was, it was something people wanted based on, you know, it being a best-selling book. Yeah. Um, and for that one, I didn't, it wasn't even my own ideas. I, it was a straight up just, you know, translation of a book directly into a video based course. Um, and for a lot of people awesome. who don't learn well from books, they, they learn from videos. They want to see it implemented in front of them that that was successful. And from there it was just what people wanted. So, you know, when people finished get stuff done the first course, I was like, well, you know, what, what, how else can I help? What, where else can I be of value? And the most common thing people said is habits, right? Like GTD has this idea of a weekly review. Like every week you just go through this checklist and you can really reliably completely clear the decks of your life and start over fresh each week. But then the obvious question is, well, how do I make that a habit? How do I, I how do I make a weekly review a part of my weekly routine? Mm -hmm. uh, and that's where that, that next course came from. Um, and then once again, after that, what's the next thing? Oh, you know, I have my tasks figured out. Now I have my habits figured out. But like I have so much, so many ideas, so much content, so many files that I have to manage. What can I do? Um, and even from there, it was, an, it was an iterative process. Like I first, so, so this is kind of a good example. The first thing I ever wrote on this topic of a second brain uh, was, a, was kind of a rant. Um, I was on Medium, which is where my blog started, and I saw this, like, number one on the site was this article about Evernote, which is the program that I use, um, and it was advocating for tagging, this whole way of using tags to manage your ideas, and I was like, I saw that all these people were commenting and liking this thing, and I was like, this is wrong, and right then and there, I sat down and I just did my whole rant, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and to my surprise, people, it really resonated. Like there were a lot of people out there that were like, I, I too hate tags. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> um, and, yeah, I, I, you know, I just thought it was my little personal vendetta and all these people were messaging me. And then the funny thing is that that then led to some accountability because the natural question they were asking was, okay, well then how do you recommend we do it? Yeah. Right. It's really, it's really easy to, to be a critic, but do you have a, a good alternative? And I was like, Oh shit. So I had to come up with one. <laughs> um, okay. And I, I wrote this, this other long essay on medium. Um, just here's what I think. Here's how I think notes should be organized. Ideas should be organized. Mm-hmm. And again, to my shock, did super well. People loved it. Um, and then Evernote got in touch with me and said, can we publish this on our blog? Uh, and that was the beginning of my relationship with Evernote. They, they, they did publish it. It went kind of viral within the Evernote community. Wow. Um, but then even then, I still, I still didn't really realize what I had because it took a full year. So a year after that post was published, a friend of mine came across it. Um, and he messaged me and he said, have you seen the comments on your, your post on the Evernote blog? And I was like, uh, no, I haven't. And I, I went and I checked them out and they were like, ama- it was like every comment was like, this is the best article on productivity I've ever read. Or I've been wow. using Evernote for five years and never knew how to use it. Or all these like incredibly glowing testimonials. And that's when I first started thinking I really was on to something and that I should make this into a product. Mm, okay. Wow. Okay. And is that, that post is what evolved into building a second brain? Yeah, it's, it's pretty amazing actually. Like that post, you know, it's evolved far, far beyond that. Of course, there's now many dozens of different posts on the method. Um, there's the online course, like, like we talked about, uh, I do live workshops, corporate trainings. Uh, I'm working on the book, which is going to be published, uh, through a publisher. So it's, it's become a whole ecosystem. Um, but uh, pretty much every major element you can trace back to that one article. Wow. Okay. Wow. That's interesting how you describe it as like this, like silent majority within the Evernote community of people that are like, <laughs> I don't like, I don't like tags. Like I'm not willing to talk about it in public, but they're not for me. Like that's, that's <laughs> man. I love how you hit that too. Cause otherwise you might like never, never know. Yeah. And it's, there's something too where it, it, it sounds hyper niche and it is, mm, yeah, you know, yeah. we're talking, okay. We're talking the people that use computers, which is not everyone, you know, the P then within there, the subset is the people who like capture their thoughts and ideas in software, which is smaller Then within there is people who use note taking programs to do that, which is smaller. And then you have Evernote users and then you have power Evernote users and then you have tags. <laughs> So it's like this, this, this micro micro niche, but what makes it interesting is a, that you have people that really, really care. Mm -hmm. Like that is such a critical element of starting something, anything product service. You know, if you're, if you're speaking to people that just, um, they don't really care that much. You're never going to be able to just blow their minds. Whereas people who really are obsessed with one little tiny thing, you can really make an impact on them. And second, Um, it's, it actually is just one little tip of the iceberg of something much bigger, which is people want to use software to improve their thinking. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, if you go back to the early years of computing, that, that was the, the promise of software. It was going to be like a cognitive extension. It was going to be like a, like a, like a, like a, 
an extension of your mind. It was going to make you think faster and better and deeper and more thoroughly. And then if you ask people though today, when supposedly we have all these advanced devices, does do computers improve your thinking? They go, absolutely not. They just distract me, interrupt me, stress me out. Um, so, so kind of hidden in this little tiny niche thing of tags, there is this thing of this, this deep desi- this deep seated desire that people have that computers actually make their lives better and easier mm-hmm. instead of worse. Yeah, totally. And, uh, that making your lives better with computers, that kind of leads into your, it, it seemed almost like a mission statement that you had on was your site. I think it was in the building, the second brand sales page. So when you talk about people actually getting computers to work better for them and make their thinking more clear, reminded me of this one. I, it was, it was a quote on your site. It said, uh, you know, you, you live with some of the smartest people in the world out in Silicon Valley and you say, I know, I absolutely know that if their ideas got out in the world and actually impact the problems that we face in society, it can absolutely change the world. And it sounded like that was a little bit of a mission statement for some of what you do. So I'm kind of wondering what actually impact have you seen for people using build your second brain? Do you have any like really impressive case studies of someone that was kind of scrambled that had amazing ideas and they were able to better implement them or just people you've worked with that were able to better implement them because of some of these ideas around, you know, how to use Evernote, but also this more mature building a second brain product. Yeah. Yeah. That was a good catch. That video um, took many takes. And sometimes it's, it's hard, the hardest thing to define is what you do and like why it matters and what's the big picture of what you do. Like I was just, ta- I was just tweeting and, and interacting with some people on Twitter about this, how uh, it's, it's a real skill. It's a real skill to just be able to it's kind of an elevator pitch for yourself. Yeah. You know, most people either give you something overly modest. Oh yeah, I do. I do ads, you know, like it's like a response <laughs> it's like a response designed to not elicit any response <laughs> yeah. um, or they go too grand and they go, I help founders to make a dent in the universe. And you're just like, what <laughs> you, you could do, that could be anything. Um, it's yeah. really hard to find the middle, the middle ground, but I, I think that it, that is it. And where that mission comes from is really my own journey, which is like, it's kind of like the curse of intelligence. Um, where I, I, looking back at my life so often being smart was as much of a handicap as a help. Um, being smart meant I was also kind of neurotic. I would overthink things, overanalyze things. I would always, instead of taking action, just do some more reading, do some more research. I was kind of a lot of the times and still am often, um, stuck in my head, stuck in the world of ideas and not actually doing anything out in the world. Um, and so it's kind of like, I, I see part of my mission as like liberating smart people from the shackles of their own logic, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, which feels like a funny mission. Um, but, uh, an important one though. <laughs> That's important. Yeah. Yeah. I really believe, you know, if, if smart, the smart people of the world just did half of what they talk about and mm-hmm. researched about the world would be radically transformed. Um, and that's why I, I'm always in my courses and my teaching, always driving people towards what is practical, what is feasible, what is possible right here, right now, instead of creating this like beautifully architected, perfect system. That's like a well-oiled machine. That's like so elegant and wonderful, but doesn't actually have any practical impact. 
Um, and it's a funny place to be in because I love ideas as much as anyone. You know, I love theories and concepts of things. I just think that the world has a lot of needs and it, and it needs leaders. It needs people to step up and make a positive difference. Um, and that's kind of really what I see as the ultimate, ultimate aim of building a second brain is just empowering and equipping people to turn their ideas into reality. Nice. Yeah, that's definitely um, a super important mission. And in terms of case studies, I mean, I have a whole series of, I think like a 10 or 12 case studies on my blog. You can check them out. Um, uh, I wish I could think of one or talk about one more in depth, but I mean, the typical, the typical person who approaches my course um, is, is quite accomplished. You know, if you, the problem that you're trying to solve is how do I leverage the impact of my ideas? You're probably like very, very high up on Maslow's pyramid. You know, you're probably not trying to figure out the basic essentials of food and shelter. Um, and for people at that level who are already making an impact, already successful, uh, you know, already financially okay, um, they, they often just need help adding some structure. You know, like often their instincts are good. Like they've made a successful career or business out of just trusting their intuition, making decisions, kind of working hard. All that is wonderful. But to kind of go to the next level of their career, you know, they want to say build a reputation. They want to be known as a, as a leader in their organization or their industry or their field. Or another common one is they just want to share their knowledge, right? Like they don't have time to individually talk to every young person, every student, every person who wants their, their wisdom. So they want to publish writing. They want to record videos. They want to get on podcasts. They want to do mm -hmm. these more scalable forms of sharing their knowledge. Um, but all those things I just mentioned require a bit of organization. You know, you have to get those ideas out of your head. They have to be in some kind of external medium. Um, you have to turn them into something that people can consume. Like I said, a piece of audio, piece of video, a diagram, a blog post, an essay, a drawing, anything like that. Um, and so I'm often working with, with high performers who are just trying to, to kind of increase their creative expression, their creative output. Um, and that's, that's really my target. Yeah, no, I definitely do think, like you said, it's a very specific type of person that would want to, want to use that course. So when you talk about this kind of person that is able to organize their ideas and maybe they're prolific with some kind of content, is there anyone that comes to mind to you as like the like shiny example of a person that has been able to do this? Maybe it's just someone you follow or something. You mean like in the, in this field of idea management? Uh, yeah. Or it could be someone you see out there, maybe just like a content creator or something, you know, anyone that's sharing their work that you see as like a really great example. Gosh, so many, um, so many people doing amazing work. Uh, let's see. It, it really depends. It really depends what, what area I, I look to very different people depending on what I'm what I'm working on. Um, I'm working a lot these days on course marketing. Um, it's sort of like building a second brain is, is a pretty proven course now. Uh, mm -hmm. So I'm working on email marketing and social media marketing, different things. So I'm working with a, a marketing coach named Billy Bross, mm -hmm. um, who's not, doesn't have a super prominent public uh, figure at all. Um, but has a, just a really successful business teaching people how to market their courses. Mm. Um, but then for content, like ideas, sometimes I'll go to more, 
kind of experimental, more out there people like Venkatesh Rao, who is the founder of a website of a blog called Ribbon Farm, where I kind of started my career, has oh, been probably my biggest influence in the realm of ideas. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see, who am I into these days? James Clear has been a big influence writing on habits. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I have a, a lot of people I follow. Um, ben Thompson, I pay for his trajectory newsletter just because I can, I can basically just get all my tech news and analysis from one source in a very tightly compressed, integrated way, uh, which I wish this was true of all fields. Like I wish I could just like read, you know, half a dozen newsletters and be able to ignore all other sources of information. Um, I think we're moving in that direction. Uh, but you know, we, this is kind of speaks to why, why I'm focused on content creation too, is like, we live in this, this seriously, this golden age of content. Like it's so, it's difficult for us to see living in it. And sometimes it can be overwhelming, but like at what other time in history could you just pick up this little black rectangle that you keep in your pocket and have <laughs> instant access to all the world's best thinkers? Yeah. It's absolutely insane. And th- this, this is why, you know, the second brain idea is so needed. Now the bottleneck is not scarcity of information. You know, it's not hard to acquire information like it used to be. It's you, you are the bottleneck, your physical, you know, flesh and blood brain is the bottleneck. So the only thing to do is to expand that bottleneck by having a second brain. <laughs> yes. Totally. Uh, yeah, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I, that's why I, I really was excited to talk to you. Is like I've gotten so much deeper into this as I've you know kind of earlier in my career was less into knowledge work, and now I'm just super heavy into it. It's just become a necessity, and so I'm always looking for ways to better organize that information. So, talking specifically about this second brain course, what would you say are like the what would you say the biggest benefits that people are are consistently getting on using this course, you know, whether they're coming from brand new, not really with a note-taking system to maybe upgrading what they currently, you know, use. Yeah, I love that framing, actually. It's really not building from scratch. It's upgrading. No one, like, there's no one that actually is able to keep it all in their head. Yeah. Right? Like, if you, if you were to get the average human anywhere in any country and follow them around, they're using dozens of different thinking tools, mm-hmm. right? They have a post-it note on the fridge with the grocery list. They have some notes on their phone with a book to buy. They have their agenda. They have their calendar. I mean, even email and any information on your computer, it, it's all a way of expanding your ability to think using external tools. Mm-hmm. So really it's about, it's not about whether you will have a second brain. It's about how good of one you will have. <laughs> yes. Totally. And there's a series of, of, of stages that people move through. So initially, the main benefit is just the solution to information overload, right? When new information impacts you, it, it enters your awareness as it does all day long. Instead of you having to decide, okay, how am I going to memorize this? How am I, I going to remember it? What do I do with it? It just gets instantly routed to the second brain, to your note-taking app. Um, and you're free to kind of just think about what you actually want to think about, to intake, to decide what you want to intake, rather than just being this wide open door for anyone to you know, <laughs> their mind. Mm-hmm. Um, but then as you go from there, there's different things that open up, right? Like, so what do you do with this, this now empty space in your head, this wonderful empty space? Yeah. What most people find, you know, part of what you want to do is just work less, take, take things easy have more self-care, spend more time with friends and family, and just live a more balanced life. Mm-hmm. Uh, and people do report that. They just, you know, 
they, they have more time, they have more freedom. But then what I often see is soon after that, they go, you know what, I actually want to have more impact or I want to take on more ambitious challenges or I want to create something. It's like, there's a, there, you know, you're, you, nature abhors a vacuum. So you want to fill that empty bandwidth with something. But then once again, that's where the second brain really becomes most powerful because you're not just like, oh, let me create from nothing, a blank canvas. You have this second brain full of all these ideas and insights and inspirations and examples and metaphors and sources and research and all these things. That's your creative raw material. Those are your built, your, your Lego blocks that you can then take out and just start, you know, putting together into little configurations and see what, what, what comes out of it. Um, so there's kind of a, there's like a painkiller side where we we have to, you know, address your day-to-day challenges first, right? Because if you try to create new things without, without changing, you know, any of the way you work, you're, you're already overwhelmed. That's not going to work. So first we have to fix the overwhelm and then we transition you from consuming things, from consuming information into creating. You really take on this identity of a creator and a maker once you see how much material you have to work with. Hmm. That's interesting. I didn't realize that it had that side of the, the, the ability of a second brain also maybe gave people some of the steps they need to get into the content creation side or really any type of creation. How does how does that work? Can you give us like a little, I guess a preview or like the flavor of what type of steps or frameworks you give your uh, students for, you know, moving to that creation side of the equation? Yeah. Yeah. You know, it, it definitely takes, it takes some time and it's a bit of a journey, but um, what I usually recommend is to, before you get into pure creation, to start with curation, right? So curation, which is just, you know, getting the best of what already exists um, and just, you know, curating it, like choosing it, kind of selecting the best of what's out there on a given topic and presenting that as a sort of, you know, a top 10 list, a, you know, a spe- like a, a, a special selection, some sort of like special thing you've chosen. Um, that is sort of like the lowest rung of creativity, yes. right? I don't want to say lo- lowest because it does take a lot of creativity, but like, you know, before you have your own material, your own products, just find the best of what's out there. And in a way, that's what I did with my first course. I just said, look, this isn't me. This isn't my ideas at all. This is David Allen. This is a best-selling book. Let me just tell you what's in the book. I was curating the, the book for people. Um, but other ways are, you know, people get on social media and they just share the best of what they found. If you're really interested in a field, if you're really interested in like sneakers, right, you have this background knowledge, this expertise, you probably don't even realize right? You know, like what to look for, you know, what's rare, what's not, you know, what the prices should be like, you know, where to find these sneakers, right? To someone not in the sneaker world, all of that knowledge is like incredibly interesting and incredibly hard to come by. Um, And so you start curating, you know, you create a top 10 list, you create a YouTube video of, you know, the best five things you found. You create a course where you teach the five methods that work the best, like whatever it is. Um, there's a very natural transition from curation to creation, right? Because you're curating, you're like, oh, here's the best of what's out there, and here's what I think. It's like what you think, what you believe becomes just an extra layer, an extra filter, and soon that becomes a product within itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
No, that's awesome. That's great. Cause I kind of naturally done that before. That's kind of how I've always approached the first steps in content creation is like really being very particular about what resources you're going to pull from and how you're going to formulate the ideas. Like what's the, what's the framework where you're getting the raw material, but I've never, never really, never really acknowledged it, I guess, or given myself any credit for like when I'm doing that, because it is, you're, you're right. It's such a big part of the equation. Even if it's like the lowest rung on creativity, it still, still takes quite a bit of thought to put together a like real curated list of any type of resources. Yeah. And, and what you just, what you just said is the curse of the expert. It's the curse of knowledge is like the very expertise that you have because you have it, it seems less valuable. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It's like, Oh yeah, I know. I know all about whatever it is. Doesn't everyone that's like in the back of our head. That's how we think, Oh, this is obvious. This is easy. This is the basic stuff, but the basic stuff to you is not basic to everyone else. It's really interesting and sophisticated. So, so a big part of, you know, you have to overcome the curse of knowledge and just see the value of what you have already. Um, and honestly, like it keeps coming back to note taking. That's a, fun, a purpose of note taking is once you just like blah, you know, put it from your brain onto the page. Once that, that page becomes 20 pages, you can no longer say, Oh, I don't know that much. I'm still a novice. I'm not really an expert. Like you, you have 20 pages. <laughs> Yeah. It's like a small book or something. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, totally. I totally agree with that. That's, that's interesting. So you, you do talk about this content curation. You give like your strategies and steps and all this in your course. That's one of the things you go over. We don't, I don't know if we, we really talk about curation specifically. It's more implicit, mm -hmm. you know, like what? So when I sit, when I have people go through the process of practicing saving notes, um, Many of those notes are just things that occur to you in the shower or walking down the street, but really most of notes, most of the notes come from outside sources, right? Like they're highlights, passages from books you're reading, articles you're reading, quotes from podcasts you listen to. Uh, it's, you know, snapshots of web pages or apps that you're using. Um, there's a, this constant churn of things that you are just absorbing and consuming and digesting. Mm -hmm. already like you're already doing that all i'm saying is take a few minutes at the end to just hit save on that and to just start funneling it to one place because if you just start to, like you know i i, I show in, in the course like um the process of writing a post how i can draw on all these different notes and people are like oh well you have thousands of notes you know i have something like six thousand notes taken uh captured over like six or seven years like they're like, Oh, you know, I, 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 I don't have that. I don't have so much to work with, but if you divide the number of notes by the number of days, that's my long-term average is only two notes per day. Mm -hmm. If you create two notes per day, you're at the pace that I keep and two notes. I mean, I just think of the past 24 hours. Did you read one article that you thought interesting that you thought was interesting? Did you see one tweet that was worth saving? Did you see one Instagram photo that could be useful somehow? Do you have one thought that you would like to revisit? Like just two, just save two of those and you're golden. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I, I mean, I have a ton of those. I definitely do take a ton of notes, write up a lot of the thoughts on things like this. One thing I noticed though is over time, how do you avoid just having the same thought or note because it's not like you're reviewing all your stuff. Like, is there any way to avoid that? Cause I know I would have like the same thought like every three days repeated you know, a hundred times or whatever. You know, I actually find that that happens less. 
Okay. Because when you, I mean, this goes back to David Allen's work. When you have what he calls an open loop, mm-hmm. right? So you go, oh, let's, let's just say like, you know, I'd, I'd really love to open a restaurant one day, right? If you don't do anything with that, it's like a little, it's like a little loop. It's like a little kind of thought, like background process running in your brain that just keeps running and running and running. It, it has nowhere to go. There's no resolution. There's no sense of completion. So it just keeps going. Um, and what Alan discovered and what I, with tasks and what I've discovered with ideas is once you just like offload those and just get them off your brain, it's like the brain can let go. Yeah. It can let go from that open loop and then it stops recurring, right? Then the brain is like, Oh, we don't have to keep track of that anymore. What else is there? What else can we dream up? What else can we, can we ponder? Um, and so I find it's, it's almost like this river system. It's like the more I can send things downstream, uh, the faster the flow increases. Oh, uh, okay. That's interesting. That's interesting. It's like an idea throughput. Uh, cool. It is. Cool. It really is. Yeah. I have a bunch of questions about uh, some of the stuff you get into here. Would you mind? I'm so embarrassed. Would you mind holding on? I got to go grab a plug for this laptop. It's about to die. Yeah. Yeah. Go for it. Go for it. Yeah, I'll be right back. There we go back recording so okay so we were talking about um the throughput for ideas and one of the things i'm wondering about is in the course like besides the system for note taking in this second brain course are there anything are there any other steps that you give people you know i was uh, we were talking about uh doing curation as a you know basic form of content creation are there any other steps that you give people for how they can use these ideas once they've already you know, recorded them? Oh yeah. I mean, there's so many ways. There's so many ways. Like okay. besides living in a, in a golden age of content, we live in a golden age of content creation tools. Yeah. You know, like, you know, it used to be that you, it was so hard to learn a, a specific tool like to to become skilled in a creative medium that you your whole job was defined as that you know that we used to have writers writer was a thing right like that you just wrote that's all you did that was your whole profession now writing writing is just and we still you know have authors of course but mostly writing is built into everything else writing is a part of marketing writing is a part of accounting writing is part of pr writing is like everything engineering Mm-hmm. Um, and the same thing is happening, uh, with all the other creative mediums, you know, now you can make videos so easily. Um, I have a YouTube channel, not, I don't publish a ton, but I can just shoot, you know, a little workshop with my iPhone, cut it together in an hour and have a video. Like think of what it used to mean to be a, a, a filmmaker or a photographer. That was like a, a lifelong profession. Yeah. Um, and I think, I think people haven't woken up to this. They still think, you know, learning graphic design, you have to become a designer. You don't. Like I do all, most of my design. I always get, you know, so many compliments on it. They're like, who did you hire? Or like, did you study graphic design in school? No, I buy, key, I buy templates on uh, creativemarket.com for like $19 for a hundred slide templates. And then I put them in Keynote and I do all the design just within Keynote. And then I export as an image and that becomes all my material. Like it's, it's, <laughs> it's really not as hard as people think. Yeah. Um, so, so the bottleneck is no longer the tool. The bottleneck has moved to the ideas, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? Now that anyone can write, anyone can 
uh, do a video. Anyone can make design. Now you can say anything. What do you want to say? Like, do you actually have something to say? Do you actually, have you thought about something deep enough that you have something to say? So I, this is why I think it's like ideation, the, the creative process of developing an idea is now the most important part because once you do that and you have this, this idea that's interesting, that's refined, that's well-crafted, there's an, in, like an infinite number of platforms. You know, think of every social media platform is just like a hungry beast that is looking for ideas, right? And the, beast ha the beasts have to be fed. They all want to know, okay, what's the next thing? Who's the, the new up and comer? What's the new way of thinking? What's the new perspective? What's the new song? What's the new, the new movie? And if you can just develop an idea to that point, you'll have all these hungry monsters that you can feed your idea to. <laughs> and your idea will then become available to just an unimaginable number of people. Yeah, no, totally. Totally. I 100% to agree. The refinement part is like definitely the real value that, that uh, people bring to that nowadays. Because yeah, like you said, everything else is you can Lego block it together pretty much. So. Yeah, or else, you know, hire someone it's so affordably. You know, you can get a really legit graphic designer, you know, overseas for a very affordable price. Videography is more expensive, but you can have that handled. It's like we live in a world of contractors and on-demand services. Um, what is mo still so scarce is a real new idea that has been proven and validated and, and refined in that way. Yeah, that's awesome. And so this will probably be one of my last main questions is for people to get better at this. Cause like you've made it pretty clear that in today's world of work, this ability to do this with ideas is crucial pretty much regardless of what you're doing. So is there any type of skills? I know, you know, for example, you mentioned just-in-time learning. Are there any like frameworks for thinking or skills people should have that'll better equip them to do this with ideas, really develop them to the point that they're a, a product? Yeah, I mean, I would tell them sort of the, the most uh, succinct version of my method, which is you can remember it with the acronym CODE, C-O-D-E. Uh, and that stands for capture, organize, distill, and express. Mm -hmm. uh, and the, these are the, the four parts that we move through in the course. Uh, first, capture uh, is just anytime something occurs to you, take out your phone or if you're at your computer, you know, open up a note-taking app and really any note-taking app works fine and write it down. You know, until you respect and value your ideas enough to just save them, no one else is going to respect your ideas. Um, second one is organized. So the, a simple way of describing, I have a whole system for this. It's called para. Um, but the simple version is make a list of your projects, right? Every project that you're committed to, even if it's really, really small and create folders, or in some cases they're called notebooks for each of those projects. And then use those folders to organize your notes. Don't organize them by topic, like psychology, marketing, health, stuff like that. That will just lead to an endless number of folders. Organize them by the specific projects you are working on now. Like ask yourself, where will this note be most useful? And then put it in there. Um, distill just means, so, so the thing with notes is they're long, right? With a task, it's always like just a few words. It's like one line, but a note, a single note could be pages and pages long, right? If it's say your, your highlights from a book that you read, 
And so to, to be able to work with those in a fluid way, you have to summarize them. There has to be like, what is the main point? Um, and I have another method that I have, there's a free post on my blog called progressive summarization um, that your readers can check out, which is basically just highlight. It's, it's highlights, there's more to it, but essentially it's highlight the main points from the article so that next time you come across it, you'll be able to just see what are the main points. Um, and then express is basically just what we've been talking about. You need to share it. You know, don't, don't create this private collection of secret knowledge, like you're, ho like you're a hoarder, you know, like those, those people who just keep like every, every candy bar wrapper, every to-go box, every pizza box, like underneath their bed. Um, don't do that with knowledge. Knowledge is most powerful and most valuable when it's shared, when it's actually moving and, and alive out in the world. And so I really insist, you know, people, your notes are of zero value until you've shared them. Don't stockpile, you know, write blog posts, do videos, get on podcasts, or even things like bring them up in conversation or bring them up in meetings with your team or apply them in your life. Like if you read something from a self-improvement book, actually conduct an experiment to put that into practice. There, there's infinite ways of using it and applying it, but you have to get, express it somehow. Mm -hmm. Um, and so those four, those four steps together are the, the second brain code. <laughs> nice. I like it. Definitely something people can use. Um, well, man, I have so many questions. I could obviously we could just go all day. Uh, but I'll leave it here. Is there anything that I forgot to talk about or I should have asked you that I didn't or that you'd like to talk about briefly before we wrap this up? Gosh, man, um, we should do a part two. We should do a follow-up sometime. Uh, it's a lot more we could cover, but that was, that was a pretty good overview. I guess the, the one thing would be if, if people want to find out more, they can check out my website. Um, my company is called Forte Labs. That's F-O-R-T-E-L-A-B-S dot C-O, not dot com, dot C-O. Um, and that's kind of the, the portal to my online courses, my eBooks my blog, my workshops, really everything about me, uh, you can find there. And on Twitter, at, uh, at symbol Forte Labs is where I'm, I'm most active online. And I'd love to hear from your, from your listeners. Yeah, definitely. And we definitely should do a part two. I'll have to get more of this system going. Maybe, maybe go through the building a second brain course and see if I can you know, implement a little bit of my workflow. And then maybe if we can talk about, I can get some tips on how, what I'm doing wrong. So, Absolutely. Let's do it. Definitely. Cool, man. All right. Well, thanks for coming on. I appreciate it. I'm going to go this and then we can. Talk.